0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode eighty of X-Lapsed. It's hey, it's hard to believe. Every time we hit like one of these round numbers, it's it's always a, a bit of a shock to me. Even though, I mean, we've been doing this a while now. So, what are you gonna do? Anyway, today maybe a shorter episode because we're talking about a book that well, there really isn't all that much to say. Um, this is Wolverine, volume seven, number three. At a September 2020 cover date, the story is called You Didn't See Nothing, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Adam Cubitt, colors by Frank Martin, letters VC's Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Robinson White Zabolski, cover price $3.99, went on sale July 22nd, 2020. Now we open at the Green Lagoon, you know, the little hangout where uh, the uh, mutant elite go to meet and bang. Uh, with a very out-of-character Magneto getting, well, absolutely sloshed with Wolverine. This feels, to me, like a scene that started off with our writer saying, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if... dot dot dot?" To which, spoiler alert, the answer is almost always no. So, yeah. So, yeah, Wolverine and Magneto, they're drinking together, with the latter getting all, you know, I love you, man, before passing out. Wolverine then cracks his knuckles and snags Magneto's helmet. He turns to the bartender, Blob, and tells him he didn't see nothing, which, hey, that's the title of this issue. Let's go to a roll call here. We got Wolverine, Magneto, Blob, Kid Omega, Stepford Cuckoos, The Pale Girl, and Jeff Bannister. Then a couple of pages of credits. Now, we resume with two pages with, uh... Wolverine talks about his history, which... I mean, isn't anything we don't usually get in an issue of Wolverine. I mean, we even see Logan in his Barry windsor Smith Weapon X gimmick here. Uh, do we see this stuff too much? Do we hear this stuff too much? Maybe. Uh, at least it all looks great under Cubitt's uh, pencils. Um, Logan is narrating these bits, which are intermingled with smaller panels of he and the Pale Girl stood together, paying off last issue's cliffhanger. Now, together, Wolverine and the Pale Girl are boating over to... Well, what looks like a giant flying saucer emerging from the water. Now, we flash back to one day earlier. Logan's attempting to convince Quentin Quire into helping him deal with this pale girl problem. Quentin flat-out refuses, claiming, get this, he's tired of dying all the time. Well, stands to reason, doesn't it? I mean, poor kid's died three times in the last four months. Hopefully he doesn't die again today. Wolverine continues to try working on Quire, but... It's of no use. And so he turns over the appeals process to the Stepford Cuckoos. The four of them, so I guess we're back to there being four of them, maybe they always were, I don't know, they're off to the side and they call Quentin over in order to uh, convince him that going after the pale girl is the right thing to do. And to do so, they well, they flirt a lot and they kind of blow sunshine up his ass and tell him how great he is and how he's an omega-level mutant and all that stuff. Uh, Which works, you know? Wolverine thanks them for doing the dirty work here, to which one of them, your guess is as good as mine, informs him that, uh, well, they're going to need Wolverine's help to get the one they really want, which is Kid Cable. So maybe there's going to be a romantic subplot between the Cuckoos and Cable sometime down the line. Info page, it's Beast's Notebook, and it's more about the Pale Girl in Russia. Uh, He claims that the Pale Girl is reminiscent of Jean Grey, only, quote, other. Next, Hey, an info page. Again, this is a transcription of a chat between Jeff Bannister and Dolores Ramirez of the X-Desk. Not much to see here, only that the the X-Desk knows that Bannister never really called off the Pale Girl mission and is now in leagues with a mutant. Back to comics and back to the now. The Pale Girl and Wolverine meet the giant floating flying saucer and they prepare to board. Now we find out that this is of Russian origin, and it's as though they've uh, created their own Krakoa. So this is kind of like a giant, for lack of a better term, habitat, maybe? They, they People live here, and they work here, and it's, I don't know, it's a swell place. But I gotta ask before we move on here, when did the Russians become the go-to bad guys again? I mean, damn near every X-Book has conflict with some Russian group or another, or a Russian-adjacent group at the, at the least. Very, very weird. Anyway, we board the saucer, only to learn that this isn't the Pale Girl and Wolverine, but instead, Wolverine wearing Magneto's helmet and the Marauders. And uh, this scene includes Bishop back with his old look, which, I mean, it's probably not even worth mentioning. What are you going to do? So, what the hell's going on here, right? We see the Pale Girl and Wolverine going to the island, but on the uh, island or habitat or wherever the hell we are, it's Wolverine and the Marauders. How did this happen? Well, we're going to have to go back to Flashback Land to find out. And uh, sometimes the uh, destination isn't worth the trip. We'll find out. Back to yesterday. Wolverine's gotten Kid Omega on board for this mission. Now, the whole thing is going to be a Trojan horse mission, where the Marauders will be stowed away, and Quentin will be playing the role of Wolverine himself. I didn't know that was within his powers, but I, I don't know much about Omega-level mutants. Maybe they can do more things than, a, than I can consider they could do. So, we're back to the now, and we're in a control room or something, where Quentin, as Wolverine, decides to inform the Pale Girl that, hey, the jig's up, and you're about to lose. This gets him conked on the head by a bottle, courtesy of a now-under-mind-control, but still alive, Jeff Bannister. How did he survive the impalement of last issue? No idea Down below, the real Wolverine and the Marauders fight a bunch of nameless, faceless, interchangeable Russian bad guys Which is kind of like the, the soup of the day for Dawn of X All the while, Wolverine soliloquizes about being a broken person It's a bit pretentious and really not all that interesting Especially considering that we get these internal monologues like all the time from Wolverine It's like dude, change the record So, bingo bango, the fight's done and Wolverine heads to the control room in order to deal with the pale girl. What he finds instead is Jeff Bannister holding a gun up to his own head, threatening to blow his brains out should Wolverine come any closer. Now, Wolverine tries to reason with him, but here's the thing. Jeff thinks that the pale girl is his sick daughter. Gotta ask, what blowing his own brains out will do to save her? I haven't the foggiest idea. Your guess is as good as mine. I gotta figure, if Wolverine really wanted to harm Jeff's daughter, then Jeff blowing his own brains out would only help him to that end, right? I mean, that's just like a a hurdle, an obstacle out of the way. Anyway, Wolverine manages to get through to Bannister, while at the same time, the pale girl decides to take her leave. So, uh, maybe it was just her influence fading on Jeff that made him come back to reality. I don't know, whatever the case, Wolverine snags Jeff's gun and everything's good in the hood. The Russian UFO Krakoa gimmick then submerges, and we can see that it has a flat top but a round body, so it looks kind of like three-quarters of a sphere, like where the top is flat, everything else is just the rest of the sphere. If that makes any sense, I'm sure there's a better way to, to explain that. From here, it's an info page, and it's more Beast talking about Russia. He'd like a debriefing with Colossus and Omega Red to maybe put together a new task force... Oh, please, I don't want to read that book. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Back to comics, and we're back in Bannister's backyard. Now, his sick daughter has been treated with the Kirkcohen magic meds and is experiencing a full recovery for which Jeff is most thankful. Wolverine has trouble taking his thanks because, well, he's a tortured hero or something. He's too busy focusing on being a bad person that it gets in the way of all the good he actually does. Logan tells Bannister to stop analyzing him and then throws an empty beer bottle onto his pristine lawn. Jeff's daughter then asks if they can go out for pizza. Unfortunately, before they can leave, Wolverine's contacted by Sage, informing him that the Quiet Council would like to see him PDQ. Something about stealing Magneto's helmet. Nyuk, nyuk, nyuk. We close out by seeing that there's a potted plant in Jeff's yard that just so happens to house a Crocoan gateway. And that is the end of the first arc of Wolverine Volume 7. Next issue of Wolverine is going to deal with. Well, the other half of Wolverine Number 1. You remember the vampire story. Not looking forward to that. Um, Next episode, though, Hellions Number 2, and I am looking forward to that. But how about we talk about what we learned this issue? Uh, This was kind of all over the place, wasn't it? I mean. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't a bad issue, but just a little bit hard to navigate. And a lot of the stuff here was a little too convenient, but I mean, what are you going to do? Hey, you know, at least Kid Omega didn't die again, unless I missed something, that is, which is possible. Maybe he died again and I just missed it. Um, Before we go into this issue, let's go back to the cliffhanger from last issue. Now, if you remember, that ended with Bannister seemingly getting gutted, right? Was that supposed to be an illusion or something? I mean, Quentin's powers are off the charts strong, right? But was that what we were supposed to be getting from this? If so, I mean, I I can be completely dense, that much is for sure, but I still feel like this could have been conveyed a bit better. What actually happened to Bannister? Was he, like, just standing there, waiting for the pale girl to begin controlling him? Like, what did he do? Was Was he just... I don't know... And I guess that could take us right to our next talking point, Bannister under the control of the pale girl, where his only play here is to blow his own brains out. Doesn't seem overly helpful now, does it? I mean, how would that help anybody? The pale girl doesn't need him alive, does she? And honestly, neither does Wolverine. The only stakes involved here have to do with his daughter, which, I mean, I guess that works, but that takes into consideration that his personal stakes are also important to... Everybody else in this book, including us, I don't know. This really didn't quite land for me. Um, I will say that I personally felt some stakes when Bannister was seemingly gutted, simply because I dig the character and wouldn't mind seeing more of him. You know, be around on the fringes here. So there's that. I guess. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, might go without saying from the things I said earlier, but drunk Magneto. Not a fan, not a fan Actually, you know, drunk most any character Not a fan Anytime I see something like this in comics I don't know, I can't shake the feeling That there's a little bit of pandering involved Kind of like a nudge, you know, a wink and a nudge Hey kids, look, insert character here Is getting wasted, how cool is that? Well, I can answer that question Which I just conveniently fictionalized In order to say, it's not (laughs) It's not as funny Cool or clever, as our creative teams seem to think it is. This is a scene that uh, seems like it was written, or feels like it was written, so it could be included on like a ten comic scenes you can't believe happened in 2020. Number seven will make you soil your pants, or some other such low-effort Buzzfeedy nonsense here. Um, On the other side of the table, the art here continues to impress. Uh, Adam Cubitt is doing the heavy lifting here, making this series feel like something very special. It's absolutely wonderful to look at The story is going to take a bit of doing, though Hopefully as we enter the ex- the next phase here We'll see, you know, maybe A little bit stronger stuff coming here Though I probably don't need to remind you That next up is vampires, so It ain't gonna be rocking my world And then we have exit tens So, uh Well, I I guess maybe this is gonna be A much slower burn than I thought just 10, ten or 15 seconds ago So we'll We'll maintain our patience and we will keep up with it, because that's kind of what we do. Overall, though, if you're a Wolverine fan and you aren't yet tired of reading the same internal monologue that Wolverine's been spouting since the late 1980s, you'll probably really dig this. And I, I do want to make it clear here that I didn't dislike it. I didn't dislike it, it just felt a bit underwhelming. I feel like... and part of this, this is, you know, what I call Chris problems, right? Right? They held off on giving us a Wolverine series for several months into this new landscape, right? So you figure, or at least I figured, and this is me projecting, of course, but if you hold something back, which, I mean, we knew there was going to be a Wolverine book. So we knew it was coming, but they held it off. They held it back from us here. So I was expecting to just be like... There's a reason for this, right? There's a reason they're holding this back. It's going to just it's going to hit the ground running. It's going to slam on all cylinders. It's going to be awesome. And it's not. I mean, these are Marvel Comics Presents level stories here, and not the great ones. Um these are just they feel like time filler. They feel like just stuff to jam into a into a book that really doesn't move the needle anywhere, which is unfortunate because uh I feel like this could have and probably should have been a uh, a bigger deal than it was, but here we are, uh, one arc, you know, in the in the books here, and it just doesn't feel worthy of a whole new volume. You know, and I mean volumes are <laughs> the value of a new volume these days is uh well it's meaningless. Uh if we you know if I'm gonna be completely honest, it's meaningless. But there was a time where it wasn't and uh I like to live in that time and This book does not stand up to what I would consider to be an opening arc of a major franchise volume. But that was Wolverine number three. Uh, Let's get into the mailbag before we jam out of here. We're going to start with Damien, who's discussing Excalibur number 10. He says, I completely fell for the opening of Excalibur number 10. There's a bit of a fashion for opening up with a big event and then filling in the backstory in comics, so I was expecting a text page to explain the gap. As you say, the story is fun. I love the way the nonsense plot is twinned with character moments. It's what lifts it above the first storyline, which was more focused on explaining Otherworld than on characters. The idea of alternate reality being caused by sibling rivalry is fun. And yes, yeah, so what Damien's talking about here is Excalibur number 10 did not pick up where we left off at the end of Excalibur number 9 to the point where... I actually had to pull my happy ass out of bed Go to the long boxes and make sure I didn't pull the wrong book Um, It's a whole different alternate reality here that we open up in And it's uh, all a result of Jamie, that weirdo Jamie Braddock Doing some weirdo Jamie Braddock things But uh, yes, this was far more fun than our original stint in Otherworld uh, Over the course of the first six issues of this volume And it also shows that Otherworld can be a fine setting for a story So long as we don't keep getting stuck in the damn weeds Because Otherworld in and of itself I mean, to me, it's just not very interesting As a setting, it could be fine But if the story is about that setting Wake me up when it's over Um, I, I feel like it certainly didn't need the amount of focus that it received earlier In this volume here with Morgan Le Fay and the Camelot stuff Didn't need it Personally, Damien continues. I can I can confirm that X of Tens is more like this story than the initial Excalibur story. Characters are very much the focus, even where otherworld world building is going on. That's very good news, um, and if I'm being completely honest, it's quite the relief. Uh, ever since I heard that otherworld was going to play a large role in X of Tens, I was pretty nervous, um, and. That was pretty early into the run of X-Lapsed That X of Tens What was it? X of Tens wasn't Stasis, was it? Was Stasis the first one? I don't know, whatever the first, Creation, there it is X of Tens Creation came out um, Just a few weeks Into the X-Lapsed project here So it's kind of been looming over my head Since then that, you know What I'm working towards here might not be My cup of tea at the end of the day And at the same time if I am able to keep up the pace of this program, we're going to be dedicating like an entire month's worth of episodes to that event. Which, even in the best of times, can turn into a slog. So, ugh, I'd hate to think that Exitens might be the thing to cure me of my ex-lapsedness. You know, the whole point of this program was to get us to to the Exitens here and be up to date to enjoy it. So, here's hoping that uh, I'm able to to hold on, and uh, that the story is, as Damien states, uh, much better than the the initial arc of Excalibur. Damien continues. Sadly, I missed the Protect and Survived Information films. I started school in 1979 and didn't really get any education about the possibility of nuclear war until the mid-80s. By that point, we were in post-Threads era, and we were just expecting to die when the bombs fell. My hometown was only 20 miles from London, so we would inevitably die in the initial explosion, so we didn't have to plan for what to do after. Our teacher's main advice was to pray for peace between the U.S. and Russia, but that's Catholic school for you. We did get some horrific public information films as kids. There was a particular one about not playing with fireworks that I'm sure is responsible for me being terrified of fireworks to this day. And yes, I've seen that one. The fireworks one is... is scary. It's brutal. (laughs) it's horrifying. I couldn't imagine that being on, uh, like while kids are watching cartoons going to that. It is brutal. But as for uh the bombs, I was very much the same. Uh living in New York City during the 80s, where was I going to go? Cuz that was that was one of the big targets, uh, at least what we were told. Um and you know, there were pretty much three truisms growing up in the 80s in New York. It was one was uh, someone will try and get you hooked on drugs around every corner in every public bathroom. Someone is going to try to get you hooked on drugs. Someone will try to get you to join a gang. That was another one around every corner. Someone is going to try to get you into a gang. Third one is none of that's going to matter in the, at all because we're all going to die when the nukes dropped anyway. So those were the three truisms that I grew up with back in, uh, in New York City. I do remember uh, letter-writing campaigns were kind of a thing out here, because uh, I only went to Catholic school for a couple of years before being tossed into public. But in public school, we'd be encouraged to write into to the politicians to appeal to them to find a peaceful solution to this stuff. And you know what? I'm sure it was one of those, probably one of mine, that led to the end of the Cold War. So uh, I, guess, I guess you're welcome. Um... Damien wraps up with It was fascinating hearing Andrew's recollection Of the times when he walked away from the X-Men And how two of them were the exact same issues Where I jumped off As you'll know by the time you read this That's fascinating too I love that uh, That we we share these uh, These similarities in our fandom And uh, It's really weird because growing up I did have a few friends who were into comics uh, But After we left New York and came out here to Arizona, comics reading, comics collecting, comics in general, became a very solitary thing for me. So, you know, I read Usenet and stuff, but I really didn't... I I, I couldn't say that I had any comic friends the way I do now, even though, you know, everything's virtual now, everything's online. And uh, I don't have, you know, real friends in real life anymore because I'm married and uh, busy... ...putting out this show all the time and uh, among the other things that I do. So, growing up in my you know formative years here, comics collecting was something that only I did. You know, I would sometimes talk to the guy behind the counter at the shop, but I didn't have anyone that I could actually discuss this stuff with. So, coming online uh, and when social media swept in and meeting people and becoming tight with folks... It was so interesting to find out all the similarities And the trajectories in our fandom That were parallel to one another And uh, I've told the story before About my friend Jody Who his first X-Men comic Was the same one as me And it was just a random issue X-Men volume 2 number 13 Just a random issue Before before a big uh, event A big event, mini, a big event uh, crossover Why two guys, two kids would pick those books up As their first X-Men books Who knows but uh, I love those kind of stories that uh, Where we find out just how similar Our uh, our comics careers Or comic collecting careers can be So, love hearing these stories from everybody And please, please continue to share Because uh, it's, uh, it's neat building this little community here But thank you so much, Damien For taking the time and sharing your thoughts On what was a surprisingly good issue of Excalibur And also some... Horrifying PSAs So thank you so, so much Uh, Next, we're going to go to Joe Crawford Who's talking about the Dawn of X number threes And he's going to rank them for us here He says, I just finished the Dawn of X book threes He's going through the anthology series And he's burning through them too Ranked one to six His book of the book was X-Force Number two was X-Men Number three was Marauders Four, New Mutants Five, Fallen Angels Out of the sixth spot And six would be Excalibur Joe's comments include This was the most uneven so far The Golden Girls meet Cyclops A weird fill-in for New Mutants Marauders was well-written But I don't know Shinobi So no connection for me X-Force seemed to do the most story advancement, advancement And was well told I was chatting to Joe about these, uh, the number threes here And uh, you know, X-Men Volume 5 number, number three came up And that is, as Joe mentioned, the Golden Girls issue <laughs> And I recalled that That was the first time during this project Where I actually considered pulling the plug Um, I really didn't care for that one Uh, Hell, I could barely make any sense Of why it was there in the first place Uh, It kind of goes back to And again, these are Chris problems here My whole wouldn't it be funny if Dot 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 question That I mentioned when we were talking about Magneto getting wasted So it's like, wouldn't it be funny if We had a bunch of old ladies swearing like sailors Well, no no, it wouldn't. I mean, that is just my opinion and all. But I, I thought this was just such baity writing, and didn't add a single thing to the story outside of the fact that I had to cringe my way through it. Uh, when I say baity, it's like, it's like I can picture the writer sitting there. It's like, hey, someone's gonna take a picture of this and and put it on social media, and everybody's gonna love it because here's an old lady cursing. And I compared it to. I don't know if you all remember America's Funniest home videos. I mean, you probably do. It was a huge show. I think it's even still on. Uh, folks of my vintage probably remember, back in the day, Bob Saget hosted it. People would send in their quote-unquote funny home videos, which uh, Mr. Saget would overlay with quote-unquote funny narration, and then each week one clip would be declared like the grand prize winner. Well, this one time, the winner was a quote-rapping grandma, Which is exactly what it sounds like. Yes, some horrible family pointed a video camera at an old woman while she rapped. And America apparently loved it. And so, like, every week going forward, we'd get some variations of the rapping grandma. I get that there are fans of, like, juxtaposition and stuff. But to me, old people doing young people things isn't funny. So I thought wrapping grandma was a waste of time, and I also thought horticulture was a waste of time as well. Maybe if they ever show up again, maybe they could change my mind. But uh, if they still have the same gimmick, no, probably not. Uh, The New Mutants issue that Joe's talking about is the first installment of the Farm storyline, and this actually answers a question that I had regarding the uh, Dawn of X anthology collections, because I wondered if they included the New Mutant issues in order of publication or if they did it in order to make the stories intact, right? Because we know it was, what, two issues of the Hickman run, then it was two issues of the Brisson run, back to a Hickman, back to a Brisson. Very, very strange setup for the, the two first arcs of uh, New Mutants. So I'm guessing from Joe's comment that it's, you know, the latter here. Or the former. Yeah, the order of publication. So, uh, to me, that doesn't make much sense. I mean, you have this opportunity... With the anthology sets to I don't know, make it Make a little bit more sense Uh, So it's like weird if you're going to interrupt the space story For the farm story I I don't know, it didn't make sense to me Why they did it serially And it certainly doesn't make sense to me Why they would do it in the uh, anthology collections as well And that's another book where Kind of like Excalibur number 10 I had to actually go to the long boxes And be like, did I pick up the right one? Because It's jarring in how different it is But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the uh, third anthology series here We'll talk about your rankings for the fourth book next episode But uh, next, let's uh, close out with Mark, our friend Green Lantern HG Who's talking about Wolverine number 49 from from Claremont to Claremont, episode 3C Which uh, Joe Crawford was actually a part of Mark says, "Awesome episode, Chris and Joe. I remember reading this issue. I remember also I also remember thinking we're finally going to get some answers into Logan's past, and it only left me with more questions. I still enjoy it though. And Joe's soundtrack sounds awesome. If you do the playlist on Spotify, I'm in." And thank you. Thank you. We had a great we had great fun revisiting this one. And it's crazy to me looking back at these stories now and remembering that for a hot minute, we thought that we were actually going to be getting all the answers here, right? I mean, look at issue fifty, which Joe and I will be covering next. Uh, that has the famous, you know, the Manila folder cover with the with the you know the die cut uh, you know claw marks through it. So many of us really assumed that all the questions about Wolverine would be answered there. So many of us also thought that the Shivas were going to be like this huge deal going forward, and. Uh, well, I suppose, thankfully, we were wrong. <laughs> now, uh, the soundtracks, as I've said before, they've been a blast. Uh, such an interesting exercise that, uh, you know, you can tell so much about a person from from these picks, and it's uh, just everything from, you know, what part of the country they grew up in, what kind of music their parents liked, uh, where, where, you know, how old they are, stuff like that. And just... How things affect us in so many different ways. Uh, there are songs that you know you or I can absolutely hate that the next person over could be brought to tears by, and it's 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 very fun to uh, to do this uh, little exercise. And I, I definitely encourage anybody listening to give it a shot, um, even if you don't want to share them. It's just a fun exercise to do. It really uh, gets the uh, the old hamster running in the wheel. Uh, and if you do want to share them, please do, because uh, we will we will discuss them uh, at at great length or uh, or. Or a little length, whatever you want. But uh, yeah, that'll uh, that'll do it for today. If anybody would like to get a hold of me or just uh, say hello, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at Weird Comics History at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at Chris's on Infinite Earths.com. There's also the X Lapsed page, xlapsed.chris's on Infinite Earths.com. You can chat with us about whatever the hell you want over at Nineties X Men on Facebook, and you could check out the entire audio archives at ChrisAndReggie.Podbean.com, and uh, that's where we will leave it for today. Another issue of Wolverine, an entire arc of Wolverine in the books. Next episode is Hellions, and then, believe it or not, we're heading into Empire after that. So, uh, looking forward to all that, and hope you are as well. So. One more giant thank you to everyone for hanging out and sharing their time with me today. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.